Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And everyone who will be in here, we're going to be in Luke chapter 21. Luke 21. You know, last week, um, Richard, he began to tackle a a tough passage. Um, But he helped us to get a clear picture of what we're to do when we see the chaos that's going on around us. You know, the last days are marked by false teaching, political turmoil, and persecution. And this was present in the apostolic age. And eventually it led to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, which is what we, we looked at a little bit last week. And we've got to ask ourselves, when we think of the last days, you know, are our times any different? Are our times different than the days of the apostles? And, and they're not. We're in the last days just as they were. And if left to ourselves, we would have no hope. But we were reminded last week that our hope is in the God-man. Jesus Christ, who is the sovereign Lord of all. And so picking up where we left off, our passage is connected to the Olivet Discourse, which is found in Mark 13 and Matthew 24. And in those two passages, there's a clear break between the detailing of the destruction of the temple and then the coming of the Son of Man, or the second coming of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, the second coming, or the coming of the Son of Man. And so Luke 21 Start in verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in on a cloud with glory, I mean with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell in the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, um, help us to believe your word. Lord, help us to believe it. Help us to trust you. 
and help us to live out this life for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this morning, we see in our passage that the Son of Man is coming back. The Son of Man is coming back and we're to be prepared. That day will be a day of dread. It'll be a day of joy. And it's a day of certainty. And so first, let's look and see that it will be a day of dread for unbelievers. In verses 25 through 27, we see that there will be signs in the heavens and disruption on the earth. These events, what will take place is beyond anything you and I have ever seen. It's beyond anything that we've ever seen. You know, most likely we've, we've all had one or multiple events in our life where it seemed like the world was stopping around us and all of our senses are focused in on this one moment. You know, I think back to 9-11 when I was in college and I'm in my dorm room and I got the TV on, I'm getting ready to go to class and I'm watching it unfold on TV. I, didn't say, I couldn't say anything. I couldn't move. I'm just sitting there watching it. I remember being anxious, afraid, angry, sad. And, and I wasn't even at the sight of the terror. I wasn't there. Can you imagine being there? Some of you might have been there. Or you knew people that were. The sights, the sounds, the smells that you would never forget. It would completely disrupt your life. You know, when our normal routines are disrupted, we can hardly handle that. What would we do when the fabric of the world is coming apart? And Jesus said that in that day, people will be fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. You know, think back to the days of Moses, when the Lord, he gave the law on Sinai, and he told Moses, he said, set up a boundary around the mountain. Do not let the people go up to it, and they can't touch the mountain, or they will die. And then the Lord, he descended on the mountain in, in fire, in, in a great cloud of black smoke covered the mountain. And then the sound of a trumpet grew louder and louder, and the people trembled from what they were witnessing. And so we can read back and we can, we can read about this scenario, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what was going on, but that's what happened when the Lord descended upon the mount. And the second coming of Christ will eclipse that event. The author of Hebrews says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he is promised yet once more... Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This noise is nothing compared to, to that day. <laughs> we can get through it. He says this, he says this phrase, yet once more, it indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is the things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you believe this? You know, I had to ask myself this question as I'm preparing it. Do I really believe this? That He is a consuming fire. And that He will return. You know, in that day when the Lord returns, when the Son of Man comes, the most indifferent atheist will be a laser-focused, card-carrying believer. Not salvifically, but they will not be able to deny His existence when He comes. As Del Ralph Davis has said, there will be no yawning in that day. There will be no eyes glazed over. There will be no falling asleep in that day. All of our worldly recreation, all of our business will be done away with in that day. The graves will open up and the dead will come out in that day. People will be fainting and even dying due to the terror only to be brought back to life to face the one that they rejected. This is the return of the Son of Man, Jesus. And I want to briefly touch on this this title, the Son of Man, before we go to the next point. You know, we tend to think of this title as just describing the humanity of Jesus. And it is good and right for us to highlight the humanity of Jesus. He is the God-man. 100% God, 100% man. But this phrase, the Son of God, goes back to Daniel, the passage that that, uh, Joseph read this morning. And this Son of Man is the one who was given authority, glory, power, one who is worshipped by all nations, one who is God and stands in the presence of God, the immortal King of kings whose rule has no end. You know, it's no wonder... That Caiaphas, the high priest, at the end of Jesus' life, right before the crucifixion, accused Jesus of blasphemy when Jesus said that they would see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. When Jesus said that about himself, Caiaphas ripped his clothes. They spit in Jesus' face and started beating him for saying this. And it's wonder of wonders that Jesus remained patient and steadfast in that moment and didn't disintegrate them. You know, in Acts chapter 7, after Stephen preaches that that wonderful sermon, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit and he looked into heaven and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at that point, the people started screaming, stuffing their ears, and they drugged Stephen out and stoned him. So to those who say Jesus never claimed or his followers never claimed for him to be divine, they have no idea what it means to be called the Son of Man and what that title means. His coming will be dreadful for the unbeliever. You know, in this reality... It ought to reorient how we engage with other people. It ought to reorient everything about our lives, how we parent, how we work, how how we live, how we speak. Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We compel them to come to Jesus by faith. Because God has been so kind 
and so merciful and so gracious. And there is an offer that the worst of sinners can come to Jesus Christ by faith. And so knowing that he will return, we want to persuade others. We want to compel others to come to him by faith. Because as Trey read this morning, Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on on those who do, do not obey his gospel. That's a sobering reality. But it won't be dreadful for all people. His return will be a day of joy for the believer because he will come in in glory. He will come in glory and in, in the glory of his might to be glorified in the saints, to be marveled at by us. He will return in great glory beyond anything that we can ever imagine. And we will marvel at him. See, Jesus says in Luke 21, uh, 27 and 28, he says, when the Son of Man comes down in power and great glory, that we believers, we're to straighten up. We're to lift up our heads. It's time. Your redemption is at hand. And as I was thinking about this, isn't this what we really long for? The full, complete redemption? You know, the day when our struggle with uh, the, the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil will be over? You know what the Apostle John said? He said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. No more cancer. No more dementia. No more miscarriage. Every evil deed done to you, every moment of pain and suffering, every disappointment and discouragement will be done away with in the blinking of an eye and dealt with. That's why Paul says, For I consider the sufferings of this present life not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing the revealing of the sons of God. We are eagerly anticipating Jesus' return. I hope you are. Longing. We've been adopted. We've been justified. We are being sanctified. And in that day, we'll be glorified. We've been adopted, but that's the day that we get to move into our new home. And live with our Savior. Be with Him face to face. Reunited to those who have gone before us that are in Christ. You know, it may be hard to imagine how this day will be joyous when you look at the the beginning of the passage and you see all the cosmic upheaval going on around us. But imagine to yourself being in a war, in a battle. Some of you have fought. You know what it's like. But imagine yourself being there in the trenches, fighting for as long as you can remember. You have supplies. You have ammunition. But you're still subject to the elements. You're still subject to gunfire. And you must continue to fight to stay alive. And right when you're ready to to wave the white flag, you see the tanks coming in. And, and And the jets flying over. They're on your side. And they come in and they start demolishing the enemy. 
You know, chaos would be going on, but that would be your salvation. That would be a great day. You would rejoice to see that day. You're being rescued. And we got to remember, our walk with Christ is compared to that of a battle. Right? It's compared to that of a battle. We're told to put on the whole armor of God and wage the good warfare, not to be entangled in civilian affairs, but to remain focused on the spiritual battle at hand. A battle that is mainly centered on the truth of the word of God, the truth of the gospel versus the lie of the enemies. It's a spiritual battle. You know, it's why the word of God is called the sword of the spirit. Why Jesus in in Revelation chapter one, when he uh, is revealed to John there, he's got a double edged sword coming out of his mouth. It's also why the dragon in Revelation 12, has a river coming from its mouth, pouring out lies. One one specific lie of the enemy is being addressed here. You know, it's also addressed in 2 Peter. Peter says this in 2 Peter, you know, that, that there would come a day when there would be scoffers who would say, where's the promise of Jesus' coming? Where is he? He's not coming back. Or he's not coming back anytime soon. Where is he? Peter said that they would say this. You know, he, he, he said he was coming back. So where is he? You know, I've, I've heard this one at bedtime. Talking to the kids about Christ and, and the return. And, and, and a child asked me, well, what if he, what if he doesn't come back? And I get it. I get, I get the, the, the tendency to, to unbelief. But all I can say in that moment is that he said he will. He's going to do it. We can easily fall into this trap of unbelief. You know, I was thinking of, uh, you know, if anybody in here, I'm pretty sure every one of us has been in some sort of classroom and uh, the teacher steps away for a moment, says they'll be back. And, you know, you had the kids in the classroom. They never were going to pay attention and continue to work. And as soon as the teacher left, they start goofing off. I was kind of one of those middle of the road. I was easily distracted and I would join right in with with whoever was goofing off. And then you had those that were diligent and they were working on their studies and they weren't going to look up. They knew the teacher was going to return. You know, we have a tendency, because he hasn't returned, that we kind of lose track, lose sight of what we've been called to do. And so... This is why we need the reminder and the charge that Jesus gives us in verses 33 through 36. He says it's a day of certainty and that we're to be prepared. In verse 33, Jesus says that heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will not pass away. And this is an allusion back to Isaiah chapter 40. So go read Isaiah 40. It's a a great chapter of, of comfort for God's people. And we need to be reminded that the, the Lord's word is firmly fixed in heaven. We need to be reminded, as Joshua said, that not one word of the Lord has ever failed, nor will it fail, but always proves true. The Lord says it, he will do it. And for our specific passage, we need to remember that he will return and that it will be sudden, like a thief in the night, and we need to be ready. 
He says in verse 34 that we must watch ourselves lest our hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day will come upon us like a trap. We must stay awake at all times praying that we may have strength to escape all that is to take place and to be able to stand before the Son of Man. And so Jesus here, He warns us. This is for believers. As we are awaiting His return, He says, you, you must watch. You must watch your heart. What is your heart drawn to? Watch it. See where it goes. Where is your heart placing its trust? What is most valuable to you? And then we must guard our hearts. We must guard what goes into our hearts through our eyes and through our ears. We're constantly warned to, to, to guard, to watch, and to keep. It's so easy for us to get off track and to wander off the battlefield, to trade in the armor of God for a leisure suit. It's easy to do this. What if, what if the boys on June 6th had stormed Normandy with beach balls and suntan lotion? That would have been ridiculous, right? Why is, it, why is that more ridiculous or absurd than us to be walking around in drunkenness as if we aren't in a battle for us to think that the battle is nothing, that we're not to be equipped for it. That's ludicrous. The Lord doesn't just address specific evils like drunkenness in the last days. He tells us not to be weighed down by the cares of this life. These are things that aren't evil in and of themselves, but can take over our lives. You know, I've been thinking about all the planning that we're doing for the upcoming baseball season. I mean, tra you travel ball, you're ordering all these sweatshirts and jerseys, and can we play in this tournament, that tournament? Some of y'all can re relate to that. You get weighed down in it. It consumes your life. Vacations, good vacations that we should enjoy, but sometimes we can just get so bogged down and weighed down with it. That's all that we think about. The business, how we're doing. I mean, of course, you want to work hard. You want to make money. You want to pay your employees or get paid. But it, there's a way that it can weigh you down. Homecoming, cheer tryouts, college decisions, SEC football, weddings, holidays, etc. You know, we're not to become monks and live in a little holy huddle, a cloister somewhere. But we need to think, like, how can we do these things, these everyday things, and use them as a part of the battle plan instead of letting them take over our lives? You know, they're good things, good gifts given by God that we should enjoy, but they're to be stewarded for His glory. They have a way of taking over and taking our eyes off Jesus and the war at hand. So we must watch and pray. You know, we, the, the reason that we don't watch and pray is that we're too sure of ourselves. Like we, we think we have it in us to be able to withstand the enemy. You know, we have too much pride and we don't understand our great need. We don't take God at his word. You know, right after Peter addressed the unbelief of the scoffers in his day, he reminded the disciples and us that the Lord, he's not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. He's patient towards us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
And he tells us that since the Lord will return, the Lord Jesus will return, we're to be people whose lives are marked by holiness and godliness. Hastening the day, hastening the day that he will return. The heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to the Lord's promise, we are awaiting a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, you know, we can, as as believers, we can hasten this day, long for this day to come. It's not a day of dread for us because the Son of Man became the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Because that Son of Man, that, that, that divine, heavenly man, he took to himself a true human body and a reasonable soul. And being born of a woman under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the curse of the law. You know, Jesus, he lived a perfect life always doing what pleased the Father, fulfilling all righteousness. And he was subjected to the difficulties of this life and willingly went to the cross, taking our sins upon himself and being stricken and smitten by God due to our sin. This, the author of life, died. He goes to the place of the dead. But we know and believe On the third day, he rose again from the dead. And if somebody rises from the dead, you believe what they say. We can go out to a grave. Everybody's still there other than Jesus Christ. We believe what he has said. He rose from the dead. And then he ascended to the right hand of majesty on high. And this son of man will come in the same way in which he ascended. He will descend just as it says here in our passage, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And he commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. And so until that day comes, we, as the church, we continue looking to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We keep our eyes fixed on him. It's by his work that we are saved. And until that day, we stir one another up by way of reminder that the day is coming in which Jesus Christ will return. Our Savior is coming back. And we want to remind each other of this and encourage each other in holiness that none of us may be found sleeping when the Master returns. So let us be prepared for His return. Let's pray. Um, Dear Lord, thank You for... Thank you for this reminder. Um, often we forget, or we just don't think about it, um, that you are coming back. Um, oftentimes we get, off, we get off track and we are not engaged in the battle. And Lord, you use the word to bring us back to reality. And so may that be so today. May we see that that. that You are good and you have done so many things for us and you are doing so many things in us. Help us to walk through this life uh, and, and conform us into the image of Jesus each day. We ask these things.
In his name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.